Hello and welcome back uh, to MOSI and uh, welcome for the first time to those who are joining us. Uh, so this is kind of a, a different one today. It's it's episode six of Foreign Domestic Unfiltered. I'm here with my co-host Ramon Mile, and we snuck someone else in here as well. We have uh, Damani Farley who is joining us today. He's a, a local community activist here in Schenectady. You're also director of community outreach for the Schenectady City School District. You're founder and president of Common Thread Consulting, Inc., as well as City Council candidate. Yeah. yeah. Welcome. A lot. Thanks. Thanks for yeah. having me. Happy I, to be here. Man. I didn't miss that in there. No, 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 no. I think you got it all covered. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome. Um, yeah. You know, we were just talking offline, kind of, we're going to run through kind of our quick hits, talk on our main topics, and then we'll circle back with you and get sure, into the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the meat and potatoes of the, the City Council, Ron. So... Do you want to start off with your quick hit first or what? Um, yeah, I mean, we can hop into one. Uh, let's see. I think that what I wanted to start off with today was uh, talking about Brazil. Um, our boy Lula da Silva, he had his uh, his corruption charges annulled in court, and uh, he might possibly make a run in 2022 here against Bolsonaro. And, hey, that's a good thing for the left. We all seen what's been coming out of Brazil. Obviously, extreme conservatism and, I mean, honestly, just straight-up authoritarianism. They're, they're uh, second in the world behind us in coronavirus deaths. Uh, they mishandled their situation quite a bit there. So there's, you know, there, there's, a, there's a ton of work that needs to be done. And he obviously, you know, he put in that work. He cut poverty in half in the, uh, the years that he was, that he had his reign going there. And, I, you know, I, I didn't really get into too much of the political analysis of it. I'm still reading some stuff coming out of Brazil. Some people are saying that he might run. Uh, there's actually a judge in the Capitol that's attempting to appeal his annulment. So I don't really know how that works. Like, you know, I don't know how their court system set up. I'm, I'm pretty sure in America, like once you get your sentence commute, that's it. They can't be like, wait, 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 wait. I'm appealing you being released. Right. I, you know, so I, I don't know how that works. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. But <laughs> It still gets kicked to their Supreme Court, essentially. Okay. Um, but he's on the street free right He now. is on the street free. That's but, my point. Right. <laughs> And I mean, he, you're right. When he did run the country, they, they had a, a nice wave of progressive politics. And, and that really, to his electorate, that really endeared them to him. Mm -hmm. But he got caught up in the whole corruption scandal, which he directly didn't have any, you know, uh, workings in. Yeah, they, they were saying that he had he was receiving kickbacks from a, a construction company that renovated one of his homes for free. There was really there wasn't any real hard evidence, uh, you know, uh, like we were saying, you know, the right wing regime in Brazil. It's very similar to America, like the, uh, a lot of the court system, the, the judicial system is very it's extremely right wing. It's just like how we have like the Heritage Foundation here. Mm -hmm. You know, that's <laughs> you got there's there's Mitch McConnell's all around the world, folks. OK, <laughs> these these dudes know what their aims are. OK, the left yeah. usually tries to win the hearts and minds of the people and. A lot of the time, the right wing's like, well, we're just going to go take the judges. <laughs> well, Bo Bolsonaro he was, wasn't his nickname, like the Trump Tropics. Tropics oh, yeah. of the Trump. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Big military guy. Yeah. And that was what he ran on was that, you know, he was going to stamp out corruption and, and he was like rule with an iron fist type thing. And he turns out to be just as bad as yeah, the last fella. That always goes well, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, that's something positive to, to look at um, because, honestly, you know, he really has mishandled, uh, Bolsonaro has mishandled the crisis in Brazil. You know, in terms of, you know, parallels with America, Brazil don't even have, a ta like, a good tangible rollout of their vaccines yet. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a ton of new strains that, you know, have been really ravaging towns. 
uh, Manaus, which is a big, uh, one of the bigger cities in the Amazonian region. Like it's pretty much, there's not much else there except this city um, where they're at. They had nearly something like two thirds of the population caught coronavirus, but this new strain, the Brazilian strain, they're calling yeah. it, okay. has now a ton of the rest of the people caught that there. So they're they're struggling with the, the coronavirus so as well that, as I, 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 it's Brazilian strain. Like I I didn't even hear about yeah. it. Like yeah, wow. yeah. Yep. there's yeah. there's a bunch of there's, there's a couple of different yeah, strains. Yeah. There's a few countries that have some kind of nasty strains popping out of them. I believe I read the other day there's one coming out of New York City that's pretty scary too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all these variants, I forget the numbers. It's like B11.7. Well, there's a South you know, African strain. There's a UK. It's, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah it's not good. But so we're, we're over the other side of that, I think, <laughs> here in America. Hopefully. hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully, right. Um, all right. So you, you good on Lula? Oh, yeah. I'm all set. That's Come a good quick hit. No, I like that. Done. We definitely sent that to each other when, when we saw the news, too. We're like, oh, Lula's out. That's oh, good yeah. to see. Oh, yeah. Um, so my first quick hit uh, is I wanted to speak about the royal mess, not just because I'm an Irishman, but um, as I was chatting to the lads offline here, um, you know, I saw a few of the clips and obviously I saw the, the discussion around it. Um, and, it, you know, it's a mixture of, you know, celebrity and royalty, which kind of ro- royalty is that at this point. You know, I mean, the, the British people hold up royalty as, a, you know, their main celebrity, I would say. There's no actual, you know, function to it anymore. Um, but what was apparent to me is, and, you know, I see it all the time on IS probably spend too much time and too much weight on what people say online at times, but mm. just the way that the right courted, you know, the anti-Megan uh, rhetoric right after the, the the interview itself was, you know, I was like, why why are they doing that? And is, is that because, you know, they, this has come the right in America, like you have your Charlie Kirks, you have your, you know, your other talking heads, literally, you know, railing on Megan. Um, is that something to do with race? Is it something to do with her own privilege? It's, it was, and then you, you tie it into the, the, the fact that, okay, this is the royal family we're talking about. So, you know, England at, at one point was obviously the, the domineering force here, mm-hmm. but they'd rather, you know, stick up for the royal family and everything that they've done uh, and and rail on a, a girl who's speaking about the issues that she had. I mean, the, people say, "Oh, well, you were you were a princess," you know. <laughs> but you're, that doesn't exclude you from you know feeling bad or feel like you're being bullied or feel like you're being trapped. And it was just gross to see. I mean, obviously there was a lot of funny stuff that came out of it, and I enjoyed like people wanting to cancel the royal family. Um, <laughs> but people also shouldn't be surprised that they're a bunch of shitheads because. Um, what monarchy is at the end of the day like (laughs) the 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 whole institution is built around bloodlines and privilege so like if you have somebody coming from another country you know another one of the questions they were asked i i believe someone asked megan and and harry was um what color will the baby be you know what i mean (laughs) which you know if they're asking that they obviously have no self-awareness to what's oh it's pretty sad yeah. So as but, but and they also have a, have a lot of confidence in uh, Harry's ability to like, you know, predict the future and see like what's going. Like, <laughs> right. It's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, the baby was going to be redheaded, <laughs> like Harry. <laughs> but yeah, I thought just as like a social, uh, you know, experiment or view view uh, on everything, it was just crazy to see like uh, the, the right wing media attack her. 
Right. And, and the thing that was most interesting for me was, right, so I, I didn't really watch it, you know, like Damani was saying earlier offline. I, I caught some clips, whatever. I didn't want to, you know, the culture war stuff, I try to avoid it, right? But so it's, it's interesting to me, right, like nobody came to the, the defense of the royal family when like Prince Andrew was literally like yeah. twitching in the chair getting interviewed about the Epstein stuff. Right. Or, uh, you know, it, it, yeah. no one came to his defense then. You know what I mean? Everyone was like, oh, yeah, oh, that guy's a creep. Screw the royal family, even conservatives. And then, like, the minute, the minute it becomes a race issue, they're like, oh, I'm on that side. Yeah. Like, immediately, like, just reflexively, you know? Right. And that's, it's, that's what I, and the thing yeah. is, like, I'm not that kind of person. You know, I try to be, I try to be charitable in what people's arguments are. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it's like, like, like with most things, like this Dr. Seuss stuff, the Mr. Potato Head, it's like, man, y'all are just playing games out here. Right. You're not even trying anymore. Yeah, it is. They, they're 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 distracting with the culture war stuff. And, yeah. and without having to get to real issues. Yeah. What you see is how one's proximity to whiteness really determines their value in certain spaces, right? Mm -hmm. And that that that's what's what's going on with Megan. And it's like so people will um you know really talk about like I heard uh people saying things like well you know that's family business you know like mm -hmm. family business and I'm like. Well, you know, two things can be true. Like, I mean, I have issues in my family like everyone does, and right. I wouldn't want everyone to know. Mm -hmm. However, I would think that we'd be more concerned with the fact that even someone who is privileged, right? right. A, a, a princess, racism, mm -hmm. right? Sexism, bullying, right? Those things, uh, you know, your privilege won't shield you. Exactly. From that, right? And it, it, it's, and it just becomes relative, right? So now this is what racism looks like in the royal family, right? right? We're just used to what it looks like on a day to day. Yeah, yeah. being a regular Joe Schmo, right? So, yep. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I thought that was was a, an interesting little quick hit for this week. You got anything else on the quick hits? Um, no, no, I mean not really. Just for the sake of the time crunch, I think we should just get right into the stimulus. Let's do it. You know what I mean? I wanted to hit Cuomo, but oh, trust me, King Cuomo, I'm coming for you <laughs> next week. We're gonna have a nice segment. We're gonna carve it, carve it out real nice for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's under a lot of pressure right <laughs> yeah. now. I think that it'll be good if we wait because, you know, it's just a roller coaster ride right now. So I'm sure. Like, Change your day to day. Have, yeah, I was going to say, there's probably a lot more to talk about by the yeah. time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, not more people. Oh, Jeez. Well, yeah, hopefully not. That's, that's yeah. terrible. But all right. So, yeah, let's hop right into it. Um, you know, we, we took a couple of weeks off. We took a, a week off there, folks. Sorry, I, I, I got a little sick. Uh, you know, Pat, Pattered, you know, he took. I, I enjoy the downtime. Yeah, we needed yeah. a little break here. We came out the gate hot, but we're going to pick right up where we left off, um, getting into the $1.9 trillion stimulus here. Um, so it finally, you know, it passed through. Biden signed it. I'm sure that I've seen all the memes online. Everybody, Stimmy's already hitting bank accounts. Everybody's, everybody's feeling good. You know, um, this, is, this, is, this is big government in action, folks, when you need it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to parse through a bunch of the changes of things that got whittled down, some things that got uh, unexpectedly put through that people didn't think was going to make it, uh, you know, in relation to the last uh, podcast episode. So let's see. I'll kick off here. Um, so unemployment benefits uh, got extended through September, um, but they were originally was supposed to be four hundred dollars a week. It's now only three hundred. So. Uh, you know, that was that's that's Joe Manchin once again. That that was him pushing for that. He was sitting there with his arms crossed. He was vocal about it. He got in the media and he whittled it down to 300. And then, uh, you know, the progressive caucus was able to sort of across uh, across the hall there from from the House uh, with their folks push it for uh, to reach out for an extra month for September because it was supposed to lapse in um, uh, July. So extra month there. It kind of 
almost pans out. Not really. And uh, the only issue I see with that, you know, when you do the, the, the inside politics on it all is the only thing that's concerning about that is it's not tied to any markers, right? So like if unemployment, if there's another wave or, you know, anything happens, a market crash, it's not tied to anything. So what that means is if people remember back in the 2008 crash, uh, you know, they, they passed a stimulus, they boosted, you know, they passed some un- unemployment uh, legislation. They had to go back, I think it was like 13 different times in different sessions because they kept passing small windows. Now, I'm worried about this here because, in my opinion, this is a bigger disaster than that 08 crash was because you have, uh, you know, people are actually, it's uh, consumer confidence is an issue too. It's not just people's money. Mm-hmm. So if we reach this deadline in September and the job market still isn't recovered, we're going to be going into Labor Day weekend with, you know, Congress on vacation here mm-hmm. with uh, st- uh, things lapsing. And it's not just the unemployment benefits. Pretty much every uh, everything is set to, to end in September. Uh, um, what is it? Um, e- eviction protections, I think, got uh, extended out through then. I'm actually not 100% on that, so actually disregard that. I'm not 100%. But I do know for a fact that... Um, uh, what was it? They they did put through they put through a ten thousand two hundred dollar tax credit waiver that applies towards your twenty twenty unemployment uh, income that you received, and and that's huge, folks. Because what that essentially is going to do is it's going to cut down on about a thousand to fifteen hundred dollar bill a lot of people would have got from filing their taxes this year if they uh, if they owed or then if they didn't owe that's just more money you're going to get back. So that was huge. That was a big unexpected thing that people were talking about that in April of 2020 when they were concerned about, you know, the $600 uh, unemployment benefit and it being taxable. So, you know, that was huge. And we can thank Ronald Reagan for that, for tax and unemployment. Uh, <laughs> don't know how we haven't changed that yet, but that's for another day. Um, and let's see, you know, we got the child tax credit. Huge. I love that. Huge. Love the child. Huge. I mean, this is one area where, I mean, uh, you know, this is monumental. The way that they did it, um, this is it. This is somewhat bi- this is a bipartisan thing. Actually, I know it doesn't seem that way because like no Republicans voted for this, but there's actually a significant number of them in the Senate, in the House, who uh, were amicable to this. You know, obviously we talked about Mitt Romney had his own version of it that he wanted to put through, but. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so it's like we referred to before. I think it's $300 for child. Uh, um, it's a $3,600 uh, whole credit for the whole year refunded, fully refundable back to you. The payments are going to start in July. $350 for a child five and under, $300 for a child six through 17. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and like all of these, these are means, not obviously the, the unemployment, but the actual $1,400 are means tested, right? What's the cutoff? It's like 100 and if you make as a couple, if it's 160 or 180. Well, that's that's for the stimulus checks is 75,000 is the cutoff for the child tax credit. It's $200,000 for you to get that fully refundable one for an individual Mm -hmm. and 400,000 for a household. And then anyone who makes above that still gets anyone who gets that cutoff that doesn't get the actual fully refundable payment starting in July. They still get to claim the $2,000 child tax credit come tax time next year. So it's good because, you know, it's, I mean, you know, we talked about it and I was like, I don't know, that seems like kind of a high ceiling for 400,000, but you know, sometimes you, you want to make policies like this somewhat universal. So there isn't too much pushback from the upper middle class and whatnot, but you know, yeah. yeah. And, and you didn't really need to do it to convince any of those voters to want to be, you know, for this to be popular with them. Really what you're doing by putting that in there, by leaving that, you know, for those upper middle class folks, you, what you're doing is you're setting a good base for this to be renewed next year because it only lasts a year. 
So you're kind of you're you're cutting off, nipping it at the bud. The argument people are gonna make next year. Yeah, exactly. So smart. I mean, there's some great folks. I, I don't know who's like, and that's another thing that's interesting. Like, no one's stepping forward taking credit for some of these things. Mm-hmm. I think there's just some dope staffers, honestly. Yeah, in they're the yeah. They're the I ones. really think there that's is how man. it always happens. <laughs> it is. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, that's how it always happens. Yeah. Right. But you know, you know, not to be the downer, but it's just you know what. So it's like supported by two thirds of Americans, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and then you would think that if there was ever something where you know our um, uh, our Republican uh, counterparts would say, "Hey, I'm I support this," mm-hmm. like it would be this, and it just you know, it, it, to me, it's just it's telling that even you know something so popular, um, something that you know the people are are are, are wanting in in, this, in a time of such need. That, I mean. Don't you want to be on the right side of this? You know what I mean. It's kind of like so. It, it is. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. It, it's just glaring that you know. I think it was the yeah. fourth most popular um, bill that was put um, put up that um, graphic last week of all right. everything that's been passed. I think there was three other bills in the history of of that were polled on. And this was the fourth most popular. Seventy five percent of people wanted to go through, but from you know, from looking into it and, and kind of looking how people are have been voting, um, you know, for a while now in the Senate, uh, you know, in in 2008, when our Obama uh, did the relief plan, the Republicans, you know, wanted infrastructure work done, infrastructure work, and, but nobody, and in that plan, there was stuff for infrastructure. They all had their wish list on the Republicans. But none of them voted for it. Right. So again, it's just another instance of them just wanting to, you know, be the obstructionist within there, even though that's going to help their constituents in the end. Yeah. Uh, and, and but what's interesting is that so you know uh, bills passed, then you have you know uh, people you know kind of taking out uh, you know a little piece of the bill and um, you know supporting that right. And I say, and then you want to get in front of it when it's like, okay, well my constituents will really benefit from um this part of the bill so let me kind of tie my name to this on twitter right. or something but it's yeah. like yeah yeah exactly know. like yeah yeah, right. yeah it's crazy yeah, yeah. and, and the, the child tax credit is uh, you know i said it to you it's it's kind of like what we have in ireland with children's allowance so mm-hmm. per child you get um you know money each month for your child and it, it goes a long way to helping people um mm-hmm. and it, it is it, it gives it a bit of a safety net Right. And I mean, and it's a basic thing, like every other first world country does this right, because what it does is it helps eliminate child poverty. You know, we saw all the the, um, the congressional budget offices, all their studies that they performed on this. And, mm-hmm. at, you know, at best, it was this total package, this total one point nine trillion dollar stimulus is projected to, you know, at best cut child poverty in half. The the um, the child tax credit, uh, fully refundable one, is supposed to do thirty three percent all on its own. So you know this is this is groundbreaking stuff. Regardless of how people feel about it, um, you know deficit hawkery and all that other stuff. Which by now, I mean, you'd think that we have proof that that just doesn't exist. We're talking about fiat currency. No one wants to read about modern monetary theory or any of these things that you know really prove all these Reaganomic concepts false. And at the end of the day, it's like, well, you know. It, you're talking about childhood poverty. Poverty. This isn't. 
This isn't really something that we should be like negotiating over. Right. You know what I mean? Come on, hungry children. This yeah. is this is easy stuff. If it was shiny jets, easy man. stuff, right? right. If it was shiny jets for the Pentagon, it's okay, right. you know. Right. And then you know, in our relation to what we were saying with Lula and um, you know, or Obrador or, or all these other guys, like that's why these people were popular in South America. They they killed child poverty. They they basically came in and obliterated it in like four years. The right wing counterparts couldn't stomach it. And, you know, that's when you see all these coups happen and stuff. But my point is, if the, all these countries that the average American, like, considers third or second world can do it, it should be done here, too, man. You know, uh, this, isn't, this isn't rocket science. You shouldn't want any kid in your, your country to be hungry. Plain and simple, regardless of, you know, people try to blame choices parents make, blah, blah, blah. Then you, then you, then you, then you, then you overwhelm whatever you need to do to make sure it doesn't happen to try to meet, you know, uh, uh, get beyond that hurdle. Mm-hmm. So um, here, uh, just real fast, um, uh, what was the other, here we go, uh, oh yeah, the, the other point I wanted to make about the child tax credit as well um, is again, like it's July through uh, the end of the year, it's going to be six months of payout, and then the back end of it is going to be refunded. So there is no mechanism for this payment to continue into 2022. Uh, so that's something that people have to keep in mind, you know, remember that when you're coming tax season, and, uh, you know, obviously, I'm pretty sure nobody making household 400000 or more is listening to this podcast, so they can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Sponsor us if you are. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked it. I liked a lot of the, the things that were in this. Um, you know, obviously, I was a little bit disappointed that the, the $15 minimum wage didn't didn't make it. But, you know, one, one thing to note is... You know, the, all the economists talking about how, you know, this is, you know, raising, you know, so many people out of poverty, like 30 percent. Um, you know, it's imagine having the added bonus of, you know, raising that minimum wage as well for these people would have had a tr- monumental, uh, you know, effect. Mm-hmm. But I'm 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 happy with what's in it, but people shouldn't rest on their laurels and continue to push people. The only thing I'm kind of worried about is. You know, is this going to be the only worthy piece of legislation that they're able to pass this year? I know they have they have big yeah they have big aspirations with an infrastructure bill. You have HR one and HR four that they're putting through and voting rights and stuff. Which the Pro Act. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So again, that's kind of harks back to the the filibuster discussion, and you know, is you know, should we blow it up? Yeah, we probably should. Um, will it be reformed at all? We'll see, but with with some of these centrist Democrats or, or you know, I like to call them uh, light Republicans, Republican. uh, yeah, <laughs> diet Republicans. Uh, I don't know, you know, there there'll be some movement on it, but um, unless you know we can do something like that, you're going to have like this one monumental bill in a presidency that'll get done, giving. The only one that you can say that are the two monumental bills I would say that Obama did was obviously the affordable health care and then mm-hmm. his stimulus package. Right. Right. Uh, and, and that's the thing, right? That's the holding pattern, too. Like that this is the nature of why when we have these filibuster discussions and, you know, I mean, we can do a whole podcast on how undemocratic the Senate itself is. But this is a pattern not only for Democratic uh, administrations, but when Republicans are in power, it's the same thing. Like Trump had Trump did one big thing too, arguably. He did it, he had his big tax cut, and then he like kind of built some of a wall. That was it. Everything else that he did, if you actually pay attention to it, and if you look through it all, it was all executive orders and things that he did himself. They didn't really pass anything through Congress. No. 
Very little. Uh, you know, as much as he touts, oh, I did the most, blah, blah, blah. Go look at the number of how much actual legislation passed through the House and the Senate while he was president. It's actually like record low, you know, for, for the modern America. It's yeah. they they did nothing. But why is that, folks? Because they don't actually have an agenda. It's just it's just tax cuts. That's it. And then back to the culture war. That that's pretty much what where we're at. So But I I also think about like so um, you know, we talking about, you know, lifting people out of poverty, you know. Poverty on paper looks different than poverty in real life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and so when we look at uh, medium income of people and and the reality of you know things that impact like like food deserts and you know mm-hmm. you know uh, lack of uh, transportation and all of these quality of life things. You know I'm sure we'll get into more of that later. But like even like with a pothole, people don't make the correlation between why that pothole. Some you know you know someone hitting the pothole in their car and then what ends up happening and then what do, you know where does that money come from from the fix a tire and then how does that impact their overall um, ability to take care of their family we have a lot of people that are you know above the poverty line on paper mm-hmm, but the right. reality is they're one not even I mean minor crisis if you will uh from you know being homeless yeah yeah, right. yeah. paycheck you know? to paycheck so yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there was a ton of studies. What was it? You know, for the last three years, there's a new one. The number keeps moving around. But it's like this amount of Americans can't afford like a $700 emergency. Like, yeah, that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And and that's the thing. That's the difference between like what you're saying. People who understand these things, read the data, the, the, the studies, and actually read about the macroeconomics and understand living among, you know, and being one of those people myself at random points in my life. You know, I just got laid off last year. You know, um, people realize, you know, real life poverty in paycheck, living paycheck to paycheck aren't that far apart. You know what I mean? It's really not, there's not a huge gap there. Me and you were talking about that pattern. I think it was on Wednesday. And that's something that, you know, that was why I was uh, excited to have you on because I know that, you know, you understand that, 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 that exactly what uh, we were just talking about. And you don't hear a lot of local politicians talk about that. You know what I mean? It's, it's a very important. It's almost, you know, that, that contextual experience and, and, you know, uh, not being too far away from the issues, you know, and I think that that happens too often. And you know, it, it, to some of their credit, you know, there's uh, there's a path to get into politics, and and it, it it means you know making friends, you know, compromising on your values, you know, really being uh, you know, you know, being appealing to the good old boys club, and then you know here and then they punch your ticket, you mm-hmm. know. So it's like. You know, the cost of, you know, getting the blessing uh, of the powers that be, if you will, <laughs> really is, well, you can't be connected to uh, the norm, right? Mm-hmm. You can't be connected to uh, the everyday citizen, because if you do, then you're going to know that this is BS. And then, you know, we can't <laughs> let that happen. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, and, you know, yeah. well, I was glad to see that in the bill as well, we were talking about like, you know, uh, poverty and, and hunger. There was some uh, items in there too for like the SNAP program and things like that, which will, you know, go a long way. Um, do you know in terms of how much was allocated for? Was it three hundred fifty billion to state and local aid? Right. Um, and one of the the detractors and one of the dissenting uh, opinions on that was like, and I mentioned it to you, was that you know this has been the the slowest that a lot of these uh, agencies and, and, and state and local government has had to run. So why did they need this $350 billion? Right. Um, but at the end of the day, we're, like the ability to be prepared for something is something that's massive. We, we saw how we weren't prepared 
for something like the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Well, Trump dismantled the you know pandemic preparedness. Yeah, because who needs that? Right. (laughs) And you're kind of seeing that now. So at least put money away in the coffers for something like this. And and, uh, I'd be interested to ask you, I mean, you're you're involved in in the schools and stuff. And obviously, you know, from what I was reading uh, right before the pandemic hit or right around when the pandemic hit, the Schenectady School Board had to, you know, cut their budget quite extensively and lay off some people as well. How is the the outlook of what's happened with the stimulus and, and the aid that's been granted? How is that going to, you know, how do you see that affect in Schenectady schools? Well, hopefully, and, and I say hopefully, knowing that, I'm, you know, you know, it's going to take some effort to bring people back, you know. Um, and, I, you know, a, a lot of people lost their jobs. And unfortunately, you know, it was, you know, people that live in the city, right, live in the city um, and uh, marginalized people, you know, some of our paras um, um, and, you know, people of color because you know there there's been some uh, just recent efforts to really diversify the, the, the uh, school district right mm-hmm. um you know there's tons of research that shows why it's important you know yep. for our students but um so being that you know these efforts uh have been kind of taken on more recent mm-hmm. that means that the people with the least amount of seniority right are going right. to be so, so you know, it was kind of like insult to injury. But um, now that, you know, uh, so the, the school board uh, made some decisions based on information that they were getting, you know, and predicting, you know, a, a far a larger cut than what we actually received. Right. And so it was kind of like, you know, the theory, on, you know, on that was if we don't do this now, then, you know, a couple months down the line, we're going to have to cut double the amount of people. So, um, uh, you know, that's not the case now. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, People will get back into their jobs and, you know, hopefully, you know, our, you know, it will help our students and our families. But the truth of the matter is, even before the pandemic, you know, you know, our students, um, our school district is completely underfunded, you know, mm-hmm. even by the, uh, the the foundation formula there that the, we're still, you know, not getting what we're supposed to get. Right. Yeah, I read all the studies that came out of that when they did the cuts and they were showing the dramatic effect that it had, you know, on Schenectady compared to like say Shenandoah. Yeah, or it's, yeah, it's crazy because it's like, yeah. okay. Or even, yeah, local school district. 2%, right? Or pardon, 20% means this for Schenectady. Right. 20% means this for Niskayuna. And they're so drastic, but yet, you know, you could jog up the street, right? I'm not, I'm not yeah. in the best shape, but I could jog, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so like, how, how are our realities so different? You know? Right. Yeah, so, you know. I saw as well, I was reading in the Gazette, I, I read it last month, but I saw it pop up again to yesterday or the other day. Um, there's a gentleman trying to bring the first charter school here in a while as well. Um, what what was the aversion to charter schools? You know, where, I don't know what your opinion is on the charter school. I, you were just mentioning, obviously, that, you know, integrating the schools and it is an important thing for you. Um, what is your take on the charter school? So, so um, historically, I'm I'm not a fan of charter schools. I think that you know it's it's a drain on already you know uh, struggling school systems. You know, and a lot of times charter schools are um, you know uh, initially, if, if I understand some of the history, you know, charter schools were kind of a proponent of gentrification, right? Mm-hmm. So, like um, neighborhoods would be gentrified, and so. Um, uh, people move into the neighborhood and say, well, you know, I don't want my kid going to this right. school. So it is in New York City. Right. right? Sure, so yeah. so now they're so nimble, you know, we'll have, we'll, we'll 
create a charter school here mm -hmm. and now you know where where kids can kind of get cherry picked and you know they mm -hmm. you know they don't have to meet you know some of the regulations uh, uh that a regular public school does and as a way to still give you that um very segregated uh school mm -hmm. right right experience while you're living um and why you know why the neighborhood is, is being gentrified so so and and then the model kind of switched a little bit right from mm -hmm. and it kind of made its progression to like well charter schools are big business in city school districts where uh you have my large minority communities and schools are underfunded and so parents students community members might not be happy with mm -hmm. the uh, education that their child's getting so the charter school looks like an option right, right. so really when people you know you know, whether you're for or against charter schools, I guess the most important thing for me is that mm -hmm. I know when someone is saying, I want a charter school, um, what I'm hearing people say is that I want options. Right, right. You know? Yeah. And, you know, then the question becomes, well, what do we need to do, you know, and uh, as a school district or any school system in the country, what is that charter school offering mm -hmm. that we can't offer our students now? And how do we get there, right? Because right. that, that's far more sustainable. That's far, you know, you get a, a, a larger a reach and more kids can experience whatever that thing is. Mm -hmm. it, it makes it accessible to everyone. So that, yeah. yeah. And I mean, from all the data I've seen too, like, I mean, it's, you know, it's macro data, but, you know, for the whole country, but charter schools perform either at or below the same level as public schools do on a whole. So there isn't like any magic solution. I, I think what happens a lot of the time is you get parents who try the charter school and they have a good experience. And obviously like that shine that overshines people who, you know, I would say a decent average of people are like, oh, well, my, I don't like my public school dish. You know, people want to complain about that. You know what I mean? So I think that there's it's a little disproportionate in that regard. And I just I know my personal take on like charter schools is just like what you were saying, like people want an alternative. That's understandable. But from a from a systematic standpoint where if you're talking about bringing charter schools into your city, you know, why not just improve your existing infrastructure? Right. Like, I don't understand because all you're going to do is siphon resources. It's not going to come off in any even way. Well, you, you see the numbers on when charter schools come in and you see that public schools lose a disproportionate amount of resources per child that they that that gets siphoned away. So it's not, you know, again, we're just talking about weakening one 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 area to, you know, give an option somewhere else. And I get where that comes from. But, you know, in, in some of the data you see on... Uh, uh, not necessarily New York charter schools or not all of them upstate anyway, but some of them, like I, the reason I, it, they turn me off a little bit is because I think a big part of why people like them so much, like people who don't have kids and like the idea of it is because they're kind of like more disciplinarian. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I always try to observe like, you know, with a critical eye, like changes that happen in school systems where they're trying to, you know, like, well, let's keep it real. We know what, the public school system, when it was in, at its inception, the whole point was we're training workers. Mm -hmm. That was the goal. You know, you want to train K through 12 so you have a good workforce. That was the initial goal. You know, obviously us now in modern times, we're like, oh, no, school can be enriching the socialization, the culture, the, you know, all the good benefits that come along with it. But we can't forget, like, that is the ba at, at base what it is. You're educating your workforce so that you can compete in the world. And... That's what kind of creeps me out with the charter schools because it's like it's like some of them are just like it's so hyper 
like authoritarian competitive in some ways where it, you actually, you know, I've seen a bunch of stories like local, uh, I think it's, is it Carver or uh, I can't remember which elementary school it is, but like they're doing all this stuff like sensory training uh, with children that have, you know, having a hard time behavioral stuff or whatever. And they're trying all these new methods, you know, a lot of this new way stuff and it works. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, well, let's go more towards that. You know what I mean? I don't, I want less uniforms and regiment, you know, cause I went to a private school when I, you know, uh, in third through fifth, uh, shout out Omar St. John's. Um, but, uh, and you know, I get it. Like some kids respond well to that. I'm not saying that that doesn't have its place, but you know, let's try this other new thing that we're just dipping our toes in here now. You know, <laughs> it's funny. I'm, I'm gonna give you just a little pushback on that. You know, because okay. it's like when pe- so because it's not a new thing. Well, right. You know, because it's like well, uh, you know, especially working in, in in within through the consulting business in different school districts and stuff. It's like you know, I I, I would be out of a job if uh, we just kind of like treated kids with the same expectations and, re- and respect that we treat each other as adults, right? So mm-hmm. it's like you know when we kind of like look at what school, what the school experience is for um, uh, a kid. These are these are brilliant, dynamic kids, right? Who have like all of these thoughts and all the, you know, they're literally not to be cliche, but they are our future. And yet we don't create structures for them to exercise those muscles, if you will, in a safe environment, right? Like, so one thing I tell um, my students all the time is like, um, you have to have a certain level of ownership for your educational experience. Mm-hmm. This is, school isn't something that should be happening to you. Mm-hmm. School is something that should be happening with you, right? So you have to really kind of have, and, and, and when you talk about like, like uh, you know, like kind of private schools, right? And, and people think like charter schools, um, and I'm making some generalizations here, but like people say like charter schools are, you know, are, are closer to the experience of like some of the like high-end private schools, affluent private schools, they're not. Mm-hmm. Those kids in those high-end private schools have so much agency. Right. They have, you know, they are not policed the same way. We have like 10 person class sizes. There's like uh, one of my friends, uh, he, he went to a boarding school and he was telling me like how, you know, guys he went to school with, they're like, you know, and, and all these high paying jobs. And like they didn't even address their teachers as, you know, Mr. or Mrs. It was like that level. It's like you're going to come in here and we're going to make like you have that level of agency um, on your experience because it works, mm-hmm. right? It right. works. We don't see that um, in urban school districts um, and especially school di- districts with predominantly black and brown kids because of there's an inherent fear mm-hmm. of what happens if we don't control right, right. our kids, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man, and that was, that was something that, you know, when we moved here, moved back here, my wife is from, from the area, but we moved back here and, you know, we sent our daughter is, is at Yates. She's six. And, you know, people would ask, you know, where, where is she? Where are you? Where is she going to go? And she's districted for Yates. And then people were like, ooh. I'm like, well, what's wrong with Yates? I was like, oh, oh, you know, it's up there by the, the projects or whatever. And I was like, so? You know, that's the way to, you know, having pride in your school and pride in your place is the number one thing to lift people and like, you know, really want to go to school. And like you say, you don't want education to happen to you. You know, in instances like that, where people are like, "Eh, well, what are you talking about? We want, you know, this is the school she's supposed to go to. Why would I send her to somewhere else? Or why would I be having negative thoughts to a place already? Um, When at the end of the day, this going to school is about, 
you know, like you said, get the experience that you want. Right. Um, right. In so, community, you live here. Yeah. You right. know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know? and but and also, right, because the flip side of that coin is then, you know, school system, school district, you know, school buildings, you have to present a, a, a deliver a product, if you will, you know, that someone can be proud of. Mm-hmm. You have to give people an experience that they can um that they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not something, again, that just happens. That's an intentional effort, you know, that you are working with families and parents. You're recognizing that there are talents and gifts in the community. And you're not just, you know, you know, recognizing them, but you're welcoming them in. Mm-hmm. You know, that community, that whole community school model, you know, these things really work. But the but the, the premise there, like like the, the, the foundation of that is respect and uh, for the people that you're serving, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what you're doing when you're a teacher. You're, you know, I, I work, you know, on community outreach and community engagement. But the truth is, there's no other service industry. And I hate to kind of frame it that way, but schools are kind of ran like businesses, you know, to yeah. your point, which is yeah. extremely problematic. But you don't hear like customer engagement, like for like Walmart or, you know, you, you hear customer service, mm-hmm. right? And because there's power in language. So when you say, Customer service means that, you know, I, I'm here to serve you. I understand that I, I'm obligated to give you an experience that is meaningful and valuable to you. Right. I don't just need to engage you. Right. Because I, I, if not, then you won't, you know, you won't, uh, you know, come back in, in, into my building. And I think because, you know, when you when you don't have a lot of options. Right. Mm-hmm. Then. Just like any other business, the product suffers, right? So therefore, that's why you'll see people say like, oh, charter school, yes. Give me another option. Mm-hmm. Give me something else because right now I'm just getting what the bare minimum of what, you know, I have to get. And there's so much more to this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we could do a whole podcast. Yeah. I'm so, man, that's, no, no, that's my passion, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You no, know? I like it. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's it's one of those things, too. I, Schenectady is the, the – how many kids are at Schenectady High School? Give or take. Yeah. Oh my goodness, man. uh, You're talking three, four thousand? Three yeah. Yeah, about three thousand kids, yeah. So, you know, of those three, four thousand kids, you know, I think resources and the focus would be better uh, on, you know, making sure that the experience there for such a big place is a good one and refining that and you know, more options is a good thing, right? Options is a good thing, but you know. Again, you want you want pride in your place. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. So making sure that that's in good shape before we start bringing in all this stuff. It's just like anything else, man. A people who are in the room, you cannot allow the, the answers to, to be outside the room. You know, it's like if you want options and you're edu- right, we should be able to provide you options within within, within these walls. We should yeah. be able to do that, right. right? And if we can't provide it within the walls, then who do we need to partner with? outside the walls and the community that can help us provide you with these options, right? Because, mm-hmm. and that's being culturally responsive, culturally sustaining. Now, you know, you're bringing community members in with expertise. I'm gonna tell you about Schenectady, man. We are a place that is rich in caring people. That's just the truth, mm-hmm. man. you know? Um, so we just have to be better at saying, you know what, there's value over there. Let me go talk to this person and let me not do it in a very performative way to check boxes, but really honor and value what they're bringing to the table and demonstrate that on how I in- interact with them. Excellent. Yeah, man. yeah that, that would be a good segue into us talking about you running for city council. Did you want to talk about um, the other 
parts of what you had. No, right. no, let's roll right into it. Let's All right, roll perfect. Right into the race. We're at we're at a good point right here. All so, right. so yeah, so so the race itself. So there are currently seven candidates running for five open seats in the Democratic Party primary in June, and three of them are held by incumbents seeking re-election. I believe it's Porterfield, Mutuverin, and uh, Karen. Uh, I forget her last name. ZW. ZW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I remember her. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, how is, um, I wanted to ask you, so how, how are we, um, the, the signature drive is going better this time, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it is. And, you know, and again, man, and, and, e- and even last time, you know, you know, it's important that we recognize that, you know, you know, there are people, these were registered Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. Registered Democrats um, whose signature were, uh, was challenged and um, ultimately resulted in me not being on the ballot. So, you know, that was something that was really shocking to me because, this was for the Democratic primary, right? Right. Like, you know, we are Democrats. We believe in open, fair elections. That's like one of our values here. So how does this work mm-hmm. in this way? And, you know, so it, I learned a lot. I'll say that, man. It, uh, <laughs> and yeah, just for context, we're talking about uh, in 2017, right? Correct. When uh, Damani ran for city council the first time, right? It was first run. Yeah. Uh, it got uh, to one of the um, other city council members brought it to court, correct? Uh, so, so um you know, I want to be really, really clear um, and, 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 and you know, honor the weight of my words. Uh, so what I'll say is that in in that first time running, um, I was really engaging non-traditional voters. Right. Mm-hmm. But they were still voters. Mm-hmm. They were still Democrats. And I was doing things like, hey, you know what? I'm going to come to you. You know, because something that bothers me, uh, and, and I get off on a tangent, pull me back now, okay? <laughs> but something that bothers me is that, oh, like, right, right. you know, you see, uh, you know, it's, it's election time. You know, people need signatures and things. So people are knocking on your door. Hey, how's it going? And, you know, but then when it's time, like, when, you know, it, 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 it's budget time or things that are consequential to... <laughs> Why can we never get that level of community engagement, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. When you know we're just reading statements in the paper, right, right. Like you know, so it's like so. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to run that type of campaign because that's not who I am, you know. Right. And so I, I think you know, people got a little nervous and uh, you know started you know really were going through those the law books and saying like, now what? How can we weaponize this here to get somebody? I mean, so like at one point they were like, well, if they're a registered Democrat. Uh, but their address, you know, doesn't match the address that we have on the voting rolls from six years ago, then, you know, their signature doesn't work. And it's like, how many people, you know, you register to vote, right? Mm-hmm. You know, young, you know, and then you you move, maybe you move across town. You, mm-hmm. you have a very transient population in, in Schenectady. And it just so happens that our transient population is disproportionately people of color, right? Yeah. And it's like, how do you expect people? So now, you know, it's like, oh, it's not an issue now, but it was an issue then. So it's just, right. so it's one of those things that, you know, you know, so uh, to be fair, there were some, there were some signatures on there sure, that yeah. definitely yeah. were like people that, you know, registered as independent. But there were more than enough of oh, just, yes, uh, yeah. like you said, just address issues of the person that yeah. still lived in the city and was a registered yeah. Democrat and it still was thrown out. Right? If you go back to the book, you know, the little book yeah. you sign in when you go to vote, you're like, okay, but. That's them voting here, you know, last right. year, right? So, right. Yeah. and that's what, and me and Pat, you know, we talked about this offline. And, you know, if you want to get into this and open it up real quick, and then we'll come back to the race. But, 
you know, I, I have I take a lot of issue with that. I've been extremely critical of the New York Democratic Party in general with closed primaries. I have a huge issue with that. That is a form of voter suppression. No matter how any Democrat or anyone independent, however, tries to frame it, it is by definition voter suppression. Because here's the idea, right? So you're Damani Farley, right? You know all kind of people in Schenectady. If you have a Republican that lives down the street from you and he likes you and he wants to vote for you, he should be able to at least get you on the ballot. Right. It, it shouldn't matter whether he's in the Democratic Party because you know what? If that if that's the case, if you let anyone that lives in the city uh, be on the signature, he might switch his party to Democrat to vote for you. That's that is Democratic by definition. Why are you going to continue to box people in with proceed? You know, and this is, you know, this is my big theme of everybody's hiding behind procedure all the time. Yeah, yeah. I take big issue with this, and we obviously talked about you know. Uh, who's more likely to, you know, move every couple of years? Renters, mm-hmm. low-income people. Mm-hmm. That's not the case in some of these Woodlawn, you know, this is some, some of these rules only apply to certain areas. They're only an issue in certain places. Right, yep. You know what I mean? So, again, we're talking about just structural inequality in our electoral system on the local level, the county level, and the state level. But I just I just wanted to say that piece to give some context to yeah, people. No, yeah, yeah, the, I, I do appreciate that, yeah, for, for clarity. So, yeah, you know, um, so, yes, the signature process is 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 going well. Um, you know, I'm getting, you know, a lot of people, you know, it's just different, though, you know, with COVID. It's just different. So yeah. there's a lot of people who, you know, people don't want to really answer their doors. Not that people are like, Thrilled to answer their doors yeah. all the time anyway, right? Yeah. So, so like one of the first things I say, I'm like, I'm not selling anything. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. I promise you that that's not what I'm here to do. But you know, there's a real legitimate concern. Um, so you know, I, you know, we take the precautions. Like I said, you know, we have like our our, our obviously our mask, you know, our disinfectant, disinfectant wipes and hand sanitizer, and you know, after signatures, we're, we're wiping pens down and and switching them out. Um, but so it's so it's it's interesting, I, I'll say in, in that way. Um, but you know, it's going, all things considered, it's going well. Yeah. People yeah. are responding. And so, you know, obviously I'm from Ireland, like I said, <clears throat> and, you know, if people from back home will be listening to this, can you kind of give me an idea, um, if you were to de- kind of describe Schenectady politics over the last, you know, 30, 40 years, you know, what sort of breakthrough things have you seen or, or how would you kind of describe how Schenectady politics has been this last 30, 40 years? So, uh, so that's a tough question to answer. And I, and I say that because, um, you know, Schenectady politics, um, it's very uh, closed off. It's, it, it's a, it is a good old boys club. It's been for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to, um, you know, when you're someone who's from the community, of the community, you know, the same politicians that like celebrate you when you, you know, are, you know, doing a community event or that you're creating um, programs to help the youth, you know, they'll come, they'll take a picture with you and smile. Mm-hmm. And then you say, hey, you know, and, and they'll appreciate what you represent for the community as long as they can leverage it. Right. But as soon as I'm like, okay, hey, you know, I'm, now I'm going to uh, step up in, in this community that I love and work and represent, I'm going to try to represent them in the seat. Then it's like, wait a minute, oh, now those same people, the same ones will say, well, let's make sure that we put a whole bunch of hoops for you to jump through right. and make sure that we, you know, at every turn, try to create a pitfall so to kind of take you out, out right. of the running. So, yeah. Um, so that's kind of like Schenectady politics. And uh, I, so I remember um, uh, Joseph Allen, who was the first uh, black uh, city councilman in Schenectady, um, who is uh, is my family, you know, who has passed, passed on. But I remember he was the first person who 
talk to me about getting involved in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and something he said to me um, about he had a he was when he first ran, he was receiving letters in the mail from the Ku Klux Klan, like you know. And I just remember you know sitting there and him telling me those stories, and I was like, okay. I really think that I'm, you know, this little bit of, uh, you know, uh, backlash that I might see on Facebook or somebody saying something, you know, negative because they disagree with, with one of my positions or something like that. I think that uh, I can handle that. Man. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, the trailblazer gets the thorn and, 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 and he got a lot of them. And it makes me think about the, the giants, you know, the shoulders I stand on. We really do stand on the shoulders of giants. So when we say like Schenectady, um, Politics, how does how does it look in 30 years? It's like two things can be true, right? It can, it's a closed off, good old boys club. Um, you got to know the secret handshake, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to trade pieces of yourself or, you know, your ideology to enter into this space. And then you have giants like him who were experiencing that in a way that I can't even, you know, imagine. Right. So it's, it's one of those things that two things can be true. And, and, and that's why it's significant and important for me to, right. you know, throw my hat in the ring. And when you have, you know brave and passionate policies you carry people along with you yeah. well, you, you gain more support yeah. obviously it's the nature of it but um persevering through that you know can really be worth it uh, yeah. and it is worth it so yeah here why don't we shift into the actual policy realm here um so i have here the daily gazette wrote the other day at quote at the city level farley said he thinks that the new developments coming into the city should bring a significant drop in people's property taxes and the neighborhood should see an important improvement in quality of life issues things like fewer potholes in city streets also city workers deserve to have better pay and working conditions so just real quick did you actually say that because they didn't quote you in the gazette they wrote farley said yeah, yeah, okay uh, i just want to double check i thought that was really weird i just wanted to ask <laughs> so no no i appreciate that because i have uh, you know i've i have read open the paper and say i definitely didn't say that <laughs> you know like i like yeah. that's you know I, yeah. well because you're quoted elsewhere yeah 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 so yeah yeah it's happened so i i, I appreciate uh, you making that distinction yeah yeah mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah. So, what would uh, how? So, uh, what I really wanted to ask was, uh, we'll we'll touch back to that. Um, some of what you said in that quote, but just right off the bat, I usually like to. I think it's good when I see people lead off with, you know, what if you could choose one policy on day one, say you win, and you could wave a magic wand and pass something. What what would be your priority coming in day one that you think is the most important thing you could uh, bring effect to from the city council seat? So. Um it's really would be around uh, stabilizing our neighborhoods, man. Um, you know, with you know affordable housing, safe affordable housing. You know, and and the way I, the way it ties into kind of what I was saying earlier. You know, we ha- we see developments going up. We see you know, um, you know, new apartment buildings and. and People slap affordable housing on anything, right? And, and, and <laughs> right. price people that have been in a neighborhood, you know, thirty years right out of it. Right. Um, and it's like, so I, I say that because, you know, I I, I want to leverage that. I want to say, okay, we're we're putting up a you know, hundred unit apartment complex, and then I want to know who's working there, who 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 is you know who's doing the sheetrock, who's doing you know, where are all those really good. Uh, paying jobs coming from right where where is this workforce coming from it has to be people in the community mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay and um you know people say things well you don't have a um a, a skilled trained workforce in the community 
well, then I guess we better create one, right? Right. All right. And, and, and right. that's another uh, uh, people fighting for their limitations when they say that. But so to get back to that, so I'm saying like, you know, affordable housing, let's employ people in the community. And then what, and what that means is that, oh, now I'm in the community. So then there's that economic benefit of, of I pay taxes here. I support businesses here. Mm-hmm. So and, and it increases the quality of life of, of people that live here. So I, I, I always go to housing because it, it's just one of those things that, you know, it, if we, it's happening other places and we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like right. there's other places that are doing a good job of saying like, let's improve um, infrastructure and let's um, attract businesses, but let's do this through this very conscious and equitable lens. Cause these mm-hmm. are the things that we value as a community um, and if not, that's when you have gentrification, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when revi- when people that are lead- leading the revitalization of neighborhoods are not connected, don't care, don't value um, the current or existing culture of that neighborhood. Right. So it's like, if I could say, listen, I'd like what we're going to do day one is we're going to look at how we're spending our money and we're going to leverage it not only to build a pretty building, but to build a pretty building that uses people. Yeah, that that allows the people to take, you know, to take full advantage of that. And then, you know, when you look at like, um, you know, where's the opportunity for investment mm-hmm. here? Okay, like, you know, where's the opportunity for investment? You know, I'm living in this neighborhood 30 years, right? And there's a bid out to uh, build a new building here, right? And we're putting this up. Where's the intentional effort to say, well, you know what? The community deserves a stake in this. Right. So let's, you know, uh, I think it's called like... Um, can't remember exactly what the model is called, but by crowdfunding. But it, it it's more like a it's like a, a, a community trust, right? A community right, trust yep. invest. Where it's like you know people who live here own this. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. pride in ownership. <laughs> I think they do something like that in Atlanta. I'm pretty sure I heard like Killer Mike talking about that. Yes, yep, Atlanta, and I think they were um, also um, uh, in uh, Portland. They 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 are, they are doing something like that. Too. Yeah, they use like community banks that they created to do what you're you know you're saying. People can. It's sort of like a like how like lending club or one of those work where people put a, put a small amount of seed money in and then they invest it into the community building things and all that and then and know. the people that actually live there you know and again because what we see a lot of times is very performative ways of engaging the community and that's what I say I mean I, I don't care how pretty that building is if no one that lives here can afford there to live there right. and no one that. Um, is seeking opportunity <clears throat> in the jobs. Yeah, you know, don't have an opportunity for employment there, right? I shouldn't have to, as a young man living here or young woman living here, I shouldn't walk past uh, somebody that lives in uh, from Saratoga County mm-hmm. here making forty dollars an hour, so I can get on the bus and go to my job and make ten bucks, and you know, right. or or down to social services, you know, because my options are so limited. It, that shouldn't happen. Is that a it, an issue in Schenectady is is getting around public transport. Is, do you see that as a, a big issue? Like so, so, so I will say, um, I I think it's still an issue, but it's not an issue like it once was. Like right. that is it a made area, Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely, and it's important that I give credit where it's due. And I, I I think that yeah, definitely. Um, as far as our city workers though, I mean it, it's bad. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go other places, man, a city job yeah, is something right. people aspire to, man. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a level of like, you know, uh, security. Um, and usually, you know, you're making a, a livable wage. And, you know, so people look for the in Schenectady. You know, we have a, a lot of turnover. We are constantly paying mm-hmm. a lawsuit left to right for something. Right. Um, 
And again, like, so I, I always talk about the potholes because it's like the pothole tells you the story, right? Mm-hmm. That we don't, we are not allocating resources in the places that we need to, because if we were, we wouldn't, your pothole wouldn't change a radio station. There's a snowstorm, <laughs> right? No, like, right? There's a snowstorm every year, right? Like what? You like you don't have to be able to predict the future. It's coming. It's just upsetting. I'm, I'm, are you kidding me? <laughs> Why are we not in a position to where you know you get a snowstorm and people can't leave their house for two days? Right. Like, that's crazy, you yeah. know. And it's not a slight to our city workers because we have extremely hard working men and women out in our city doing things, but they don't have the proper um, resources have not been invested in order for them to do their job the right mm-hmm. way. So it's like. That's why it, a pothole looks like a pothole, but it's not just a pothole. Right. You know, it's a yeah. symbol of other things that are right. Right. And they're, they're right. They're, yeah. Again, there's potholes everywhere. But man, if you, if you tell me if you're if you're listening to this on the radio and you're driving through Niskayuna, you know, you'll know when you get disconnected because you're do, 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 you know what I mean? Right. You don't. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, so, yeah. And it's funny. I'd say as someone who's like obviously not from here, um, it's connected. Obviously, it, it was once a, a glorious place you know there was so much you know back in the day when when ge was founded you had disconnected the locomotive company whatnot in terms of the potential of a city like this i always and i talked to my wife and i she's probably sick of me talking about mm-hmm. it right now but like with the advent of covid and you have people working from home you had people kind of wanting to get out of your traditional big cities like boston new york you know Places like this that are two hours, uh, you know, to yeah, can was it two or three hours to Canada? Yeah, and then you're two or three hours to New York City, yep. two or three hours to Boston. Yeah, it's a good centralized area, mm-hmm. infrastructure-wise, in terms of the way the city is spread out. It's mm-hmm. quite good. You know, there's a decent highway that'll take mm-hmm. you in and out of it. So the potential and the why why I'm really interested in in like the the county legislator and the, and like the city council positions is. You know, having outside of the box thinking around these type of things, and I'm not talking about bringing in outside investment or anything mm-hmm. like that, or outside mm-hmm. people. I'm talking about the people of Schenectady because there's a rich history. Even the houses that, you know, you go up and down State Street or, or Union Street or not any of these houses, these neighborhoods, there's a uniqueness to oh, them. Absolutely, man. That needs to be heralded. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you don't have to go far uh, either either block to see beautiful houses, beautiful architecture. You know, even with the way the boulevards are set up in some of the areas, too. It's like a cool, unique, Schenectady thing. Right, right, um, yeah. And I'd like to see that that be heralded more so than bringing in, you know, one of the things I've noticed in America is you can travel on highways and you go to any town and there's a uniformity to the way they look. They'll have, mm-hmm. like, you know, similar types of shops. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'll have your your Walmarts, your, you know, your CVSs. It, everything will kind of look the same. Um, and that, again, that works back to the whole pride in place thing. Right, right. You know where you're from. You should, ha- you know, be really proud of the the resources that have been put into it because right. that shows the city cares for these neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And then the same point, you ha- you have that level of uniqueness to it. So I'm really optimistic about well, at least the potential of it. Mm-hmm. And now we'll we'll see about the implementation of of these outside ideas. But we're glad we could have you on here to to talk about. Yeah, these. yeah. I'm glad to be here. I'm happy to be here. You know. So here, I think this is a perfect pivot while we're on the uh, topic of, um, you know, uh, resource allocation. I wanted to pivot over here to, you know, touch on what was obviously a huge flashpoint in Schenectady last year. Obviously, we had the George Floyd uh, protests happen and it touched uh, it touched us here. You know, me, I was involved with some folks. Uh, we Impact Us. Shout out Kaheem Priest. Uh, you know, Potter was there with us uh, um, a bunch of times. 
Um, so I wanted to lead into, you know, th there still seems to be, you know, I'm still paying attention to local coverage of this. There still seems to be quite a gap between what the current administration and activists and community leaders, uh, where they're viewing things on the police reform commission. So what, what do you, what, if, if, what insights, if you have any, do you have into this process and, you know, what would you add to the discourse from, you know, having some bully pulpit on the city council? So, so like, so, you know, I, you know, participated um, and led um, some of the demonstrations here and, and uprisings in our city. Um, and, you know, so when, when you say like activists, like some of the things that, you know, people are talking about is really just like common sense stuff. You know, it's not even like radical by any nature. Um, so one of the things that are in the paper recently was like certain members on our city council uh, were, were saying that they didn't want people who were convicted of a felony to be able to serve on the uh, police reform board, you know? And it's just like, <laughs> just an yeah, can you, uh, right? Doesn't make sense. So, wow. so you wow. know, after, you know, cause listen, you know, being paying attention to local politics, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you, you can almost start to go, okay, I know I'm gonna hear some crazy stuff. But even that one, That's for me, I was like, what? What year is it? So, so what you're saying is like, so like now we have, uh, unfortunately, you know, the governor had to say, okay, you have to reimagine, you have to reform, you know, this is what it has to look like. Too bad it costs so much blood in order for that to happen. Mm -hmm. But we're here. And we're here because the system is inherently racist and flawed. Then we're saying, well, let's create a pool of, uh, no, have get together a group of people to help us reform it. But let's use the same matrix, the same flawed matrix and the same, you know, uh, a measuring of, of, of human uh, value, dignity and uh, input to say, well, if you are the person who's most who have been impacted and are most likely to be impacted again by reform, we can make those decisions for you. You mm -hmm. can sit it out. And it's like, how is that crazy? Right. Like, how crazy is that? It's like it reinforces the us versus them mentality of, you know, you can't sit with us, even if what we're talking about or deciding on is most likely going to impact you. Um, you still don't have a voice here. And that to me is just absurd. Man. It's mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, to answer your question, you know, that's what I would be, you know, number one thing I, I, I'd be looking at and saying, like, I'm glad that we're here. But if we're going to do this in not a performative way right. that just looks like we're checking boxes, we're going to go talk to people who've been impacted and say, hey, how could your experience uh, been different or been better? You know, and, you know, I, you know, I'm somebody. So I, I, I've worked with the police in Schenectady on, on several different initiatives. And you really have some great people mm -hmm. um, working um, and, you know, and they would tell you, like, well, yeah, I want to talk to the guy that I don't get to talk to. I want to talk to the young lady that I usually don't get to talk to because the first time we should have a conversation shouldn't be in the midst of a crisis. Right. And I bet you if, if, if we start from there, that alone right, generates a, a, a type of relationship where we can start to align our interests and be like, okay, yeah, I can see your point and I'm trying to get there too because we all want safer communities, right? Mm -hmm. So right. it can look like this, but to, to kind of start to put up walls, if you will, immediately and, and, and start to be selective around, oh, no, you can come, but you can't. And like what you were saying too, like Schenectady, if you look at the data on it, is actually really uniquely positioned 
um, for that kind of community involvement, what you're talking about, because we actually have a disproportionate amount of officers who do live in the county compared to like Albany and Troy. Like, you know, I, I think it's like somewhere it's under 40 percent in Albany that actually live there. Well, right. But at least but I'm, t- I'm saying Albany County, 40 percent of theirs aren't even in the county. You know, uh, I believe it's under 40 percent. So. At least we're we're at least we have a head start in that regard because that right there, like what you mentioned, is a huge building block of you know do they live here? Bro, I say that I say that, but with our police officers, with our teachers, I mean, think about it. Think about you know these are you know these are middle upper middle class paying jobs, right? That people are coming here and they're working and and then they're taking that back to their community mm-hmm. and they're supporting you know, surrounding cities tax base and surrounding city school systems when, you know, we should, you know, really be incentivizing and, and, and designing something that keeps that dollar here. And not only do you get that economic benefit, but when you want to talk about community policing in a more organic way, mm-hmm. when you want to talk about building meaningful relationships with students and families in an organic way, you know, yeah. there's something that, you know, I, reason why, you know, I enjoy my job so much and, and something that's been such a benefit is that my students know they're going to bump into me a price shopper. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. going to see them at, at the gas station, yeah. you know, and there's that level of like, you know, so not, we're, we're in this together because we are together, right. that that there's a shared accountability, if you will, right. that we could really, you know, uh, that I say would absolutely transform um, 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 some of the systems that we have and, and, and make it better. And something you said earlier, um, you know, I've I've had a unique experience in that I've, you know, come from somewhere else and seen yeah. how America treats, you know, people of color. You know, I, I I was lucky enough to be able to, when I came over here first, I lived with, you know, a, a wealthier uh, white host family. And then I went and lived with a middle class white family. So I saw that experience. Then I lived at a soccer house in Connecticut with, you know, Jamaicans, Colombians. Mm-hmm. And I saw how that house was treated. Um, you know, the police were called. I saw that I spoke to them. You know, and it was when you're when you come to this country, you know, you you have a, a movie, you know, like a Hollywood movie type version in your head mm-hmm. of what it's going to be like about the shining light in the hill. Right. I've talked yeah. about you about it before, but mm-hmm. the reality of it is, you know, things like the Voting Rights Act and Civil Rights Act are not that long ago. So it's naive of us to think that, you know, that way of thinking is going to be changed between now and or now and then. And that's just the reality of it. So when you talk about systems like policing, now my father was a policeman, a guard. Now, policing is a little bit different than we don't carry guns, but you still have to, you know, it's a thankless job for, for the majority of the time is thankless. <laughs> but he was a, a community policeman and he was a community policeman in one of the roughest neighborhoods in my hometown. And he was well respected because he didn't go in there with the fear you know, of, of mm-hmm. like, oh, I need to arrest somebody. I need to do this. No, he went in there. He talked to me, got to know the families. If he could help them in any way, um, you know, speak to the mothers and fathers, to the sons, the daughters, and how he could help them in any way. Policing in America seems to be so heavy handed the majority yeah. of the time. And they play on the fear. And, you know, I have friends who are policemen in different areas in That's the United right. States. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's a thankless job. I understand it. But the uh, way to, to really propel, you know, better policing forward is obviously making sure that they're well trained. Um, that's it goes beyond saying that they, a policeman in Ireland should be trained more than a, a policeman in America 
because first of all, you guys carry guns. You come across people with guns, so the level of yeah. of how bad things can Maybe go. Maybe want to you know make sure that, that that we talk about what that means for Ex- you, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, Life and death, right? right. Uh, but uh, working within the community, getting to know the people you're policing is such a big thing. Um, and I, I that's one thing that I would say I hope Schenectady, if it's not already, is really trying to propel. So the, so I know so there's been some efforts on. Uh, to try to uh, diversify uh, the police force as well. Um, and, you know, uh, again, I think like, so you take about like these two very large impactful systems, schools, police that leave like the largest footprint in any community, right. if you will. And you say that, you know, we're trying to diversify them so they're more representative of the people that they're serving. Mm-hmm. It's like one sure way to do that is to is for when the young people in the community are growing up they see their community members in this role because it makes it attainable, accessible, and it makes sense for me now. Mm-hmm. You know, where a lot of times where it's like a lot of people, first time I see a, a police officer is when I'm getting pulled over, when there's some crisis, when there's something going on. And it's like, and it just kind of reiterates that us versus them type of thing. And it's so detrimental to the community. So I was extremely disappointed when um, Democrats uh, on the city council uh, started to talk about, you know, you know, people who have had a felony um, um, shouldn't be able to uh, participate in this process. It, it, it That's a head scratcher. Right? That's a yeah. Yeah. Because if, if people really true, truly believe in rehabilitation, right? Um, I mean, that's someone that you should value being on. Uh, right. And it's probably one of the most valuable voices. I mean, the reason why we're doing this is because we know that this is a this, there's there's bias and it's a flawed system. So how do we say that the system's so so flawed that we have to mandate to fix it? And yet we're going to select people on to come fix it on the flawed systems recommendation, right? So it's like, it's just <laughs> yeah. crazy. How do you do that? So, you know, um, you know, so yeah, I was really dis- disappointed in that. And I, I just want to say too, like how we, when we segued into this whole topic, um, just to like, just a general, like my opinion on it, um, it is, it's a huge shortcoming of Cuomo and the state at large to basically just be like, oh, every locale you have till April 1st, do something. Yep. You know, like there's a there's a ton of stuff that they could have did off top. You could have banned chokeholds. I mean, qualified immunity. Let's not do, you know, God forbid you say those words. But I mean, there's a lot of top down stuff that obviously could come from the federal and state level. But to just kick that off after all of the, you know, the the conflict and everything that happened that summer, I just it was super irresponsible, regardless of how people feel about like Cuomo or our state assembly or any of that. For them to not even try to take a whack at it and just kick it off and dump it on local people is, a, you know, that's just a disgrace in my opinion. And it's kind of dishonest too, right? Yeah. It's, like, it's like, well, you know, you know, it, it's done under the cloak of community empowerment. It's like right. really what it is is that that's a that's a big job, and I'm not ready to take on that heavy lift. So we we will empower you. By the way, like. Uh, I, the budget for the reform board in Schenectady is like a thousand bucks or something. So it's like, you know what I mean? We'll, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, what? Like, we'll empower you by letting you try to figure out. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. because yeah. you don't have enough to do during a pandemic anyway, right? Like, right. you know, but let's let's you know. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, you really people. Unfortunately, you could tell what people care about um, when you ask them to write a check, you know. And I think that you know, if we're you know going to really you know make some some headway here, we have to invest, you know, in you know. Uh, figuratively and, and literally too. We can't just say like, oh, you know, 
let's get together a group. Let's, you know, let's put our money where our mouth is and, and really, you know, support the efforts. Yeah, I think, you know, in this age, there's been a lot of conversations. People have a lot of conversations. And I, that's kind of, like you said, it's a little bit performative at oh, times. Oh, man, it's so dangerous. Um, it so is. Dangerous. Yeah. Um, it's, it's dangerous, man. You know, there, but there's nothing more dangerous than a room full of good ideas, man. Because mm-hmm. what we end up doing, we leave that room. We're kind of like patting ourselves on the back, you know? We yeah. start to check that box of, hey, we did that, but we really didn't do anything. The hard right? part Where's the measures, there, right? Yeah. Where the, how yeah. do we know, you know? And 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 so in order to, to, to really have actual change, it has to be sustainable. In order for it to be sustainable, we need to allocate the appropriate resources in order for that to happen. Mm-hmm. One of, uh, something that was really rewarding for me, uh, uh, over the summer, I went and, and uh, spoke. I did a, a restorative circle um, if, uh, with the candidates, uh, well, the graduating uh, class of, of, from police academy, they're you know going into the cities, mm-hmm. and, and so it, it was really good. It, you know, you know, we kind of had some real honest conversation, and but I was talking with uh, the, the guy there that runs that runs the academy, and he was saying, he said, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and you know, we're changing things. He said, and now there's things that's popping up, and I'm just going like. I don't know how we continue to do this. And the example he used, like like some of the, uh, the um, scenarios, training scenarios that they put uh, the officers through, like no matter what you do, if you follow procedure and you check this and you do this or that, uh, the person still ends up shooting, right? Like no matter what, you <laughs> right. cannot win, right? <laughs> right? And he's like, you know, what is that doing to the psyche oh, of young people that then we're saying, oh, here, here's, you know, go in the community. It's like, how do we... Um, you know, we are preparing them for a war and then putting them in the community. Well, who are they going to rage war on? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The community. Right. Right. So it's like so, you know, I, you know, it, it's those type of real honest conversations that then turned into saying, wait a minute, we have to change the way we're doing this. Those are the conversations I'm here for. Those are, you know, those right. are the things, you know. <clears throat> And, you know, and that's what I, you know, again, that connects back to what you're talking about, like police training. There's only so much of that comes from the top down. You know what I mean? Like, that's why it's so you know, ludicrous that they're just like, oh, yeah, go figure this all out yourselves. You know, a ton of funding comes from the state and that regard. Federal funding, too. The, the, the guidelines for police training and all this stuff. It's not just Schenectady, like, writing their own manual. That's not how this stuff works. So it's crazy that it's just like, okay, you, Damani... Uh, Jamaica, my, you know, uh, you guys go talk with the police chief and hash it out. You know, it's like that's only going to get so far when we don't have when there's no actual legislation. You know what I mean? You can't you can't um, you can't ameliorate an entire systematic breakdown with conversation. You just can't. And, you know, and I'm not saying that there isn't any room for, you know, like obviously there's like you said, there's a ton of value with, you know, the people who live there and the people who are tasked with that job of, you know, being police, there's a ton of value in that being, that conversation being had. But at the end of the day, there's only so much that you can do without like, you know, your legislature president, you know what I mean? And that's a real conversation that Mm -hmm. no one wants to have. You can't just have the executive, which, you know, the mayor, the police chief and the people in the room, everyone needs to be there. And, you know, I feel like that's just like a huge missed uh, opportunity that like, I haven't heard anyone say, and I remember just sitting there thinking about it when these reform commissions, I was like, well, where is everyone else? You know what I mean? Like, there's more people involved in this that actually have the ability to make some change, like, immediately. And I don't see them being asked anything by the press. I don't see them here. You know, what's going on? And and I'm not saying that, you know, 
Patter knows. He hears me get on my high horse. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to like take shots at certain local politicians or whatever. But it's like, man, you know, if you hear this, come on, like you know, come on down. Like everybody's here. People, people are willing to have these conversations. I would argue we're talking too much and nothing's happening. You know what I mean? But if we get some folks in that already hold some office, you know, we can possibly make something move. You know, it seems like it's. We talked about this on you know a, a podcast in the past. Like it's almost like everyone's just looking to cover their own side. Like no one wants to stick their neck out and be a change agent that had, that does wield power already. It's always people staring from the outside, trying to reach at it to grasp it for themselves and make the change because they have the clear eyed view of what needs to happen because they're not, there is no self-preservation in it for them. You know what I mean? Like we, we need to see some courageousness out of the people that, already hold the wield that sword you know what i mean we, we need that and, and that's why i was excited to have you on because you have no issue speaking to you know what your beliefs are you're clear about what you know where you fall ideologically on issues and i mean i i still i don't i refuse to win something that i have to lose myself in man like you know I, i'm a father you know mm-hmm. um you know my my you know my sons watch me you know mm-hmm. um uh you know my wife, uh, you know, bless her heart, puts up with me, but would be like, you know, you know, I, I'm lucky. I'm lucky and fortunate enough to have those checks. You know, I have people I don't have yes men around me. Right. Yeah. You know. Um, and so, you know, anytime that, you know, I, if I ever started to veer off and, you know, I'm going to be checked. People around me are going to say, mm, that's not what you said, bro. <laughs> and, you know, and right. I'm like, I'm so thankful for that because right. it's important that you have those people around you to keep you grounded. Because like I said, there is a toll. It comes with a cost. I don't want to romanticize this political journey at all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So and you have to be willing to pay that cost. Um, and, you know, when you expect it, when you understand it and you're like, look, I'm going to go through this, you know, win, lose or draw, you know, maintaining my integrity of who I am. And, you know, the other benefits I'm from here. People know me. I, I'm, you know, if I'm tomorrow at this brand new, people will be like, what? Like, what the heck? Oh, that's not Devani, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you know, uh, yeah, so so I'm, I'm fortunate. And that's good. I mean, does, are you, I know that this city council and, and the legislative as well, I want to say is the most diverse uh, uh, candidates they've had in a long, long time, if not ever. Mm-hmm. Do you see that change coming sooner or at least that change. There is no that change. But you see the right changes happening sooner rather than later. Has things kind of sped up with the whole George Floyd protests, you know, all the the, the BLM stuff? Has that really put a a, a rocket under people to yeah. actually do stuff? Yeah, it has. Um and, and 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 again, so I go back to the two things can be true because it's that's concerning to me, you know, because I, I'm I'm grateful that people are kind of, you know, starting to approach us with some love of urgency. But, you know, urgency can't replace intention, right? Intentionality about how we build sustainable processes, you know, because what goes on is that we go, okay, let's go, you know, if you just look at, you know, who... Uh, the party, the Democratic Party, but you know, if you look, you know, before you know this year, like, you know, who were they endorsing, right? What did it look like, you know? And it's like, if you're doing it now, I have to question why. 
I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to say I'm glad that you're at a point where you're starting to to really, you know, put mm-hmm. some actions behind your words and your values around diversity and inclusion. But it just says it makes me think, well, how long is that window going to be open before it's not cool anymore, before right. it's not a fad anymore, before it's not going to help your approval points in, in the polls? And then what does that mean for the lives that, you know, that are at stake? So, I, I you know, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful to see people uh, are moving um the way that they are, but I'm also, I'm cautious, I'm cautiously optimistic, and I'm also mindful that your why is important. Not just what you do, but why you do it is very, very important. And if you're doing it for a season instead of the reason, then we're, you know, we're we're all going to be in trouble. And it's important, I think, as well, that, you know, you are a community activist. So if you can, you know, get those people involved who wouldn't typically be involved in the process and the electorate, then That'll change the whole way people have to pander to people. Do it. The, my favorite thing, uh, you know, people ask me like, "What you know, what, you know, what do you like about it, uh, about politics?" And it's it, it's not a lot. I'm gonna be honest with you. You know, I'm, and I tell people, I was one of those people that said, "I don't do politics. I don't do politics." Until I realized, I don't do politics, but politics was doing me, mm-hmm. and it's doing all yeah. of us, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. you know, but uh, the the people, the the non traditional voters, right? The people who are kind of like you know have some simple like uh, sense of like you know dis- disenfranchisement like even after it's just like you know what does it matter mm-hmm. you know came out and supported me like I mean I was on a third party line and uh, you know we could look that up because uh, I, I don't want to I'm gonna make sure I get this right but you know we brought out like record numbers on a third party line for a city council in the history right. of Schenectady so that was really good mm-hmm. you know. But so so there's people out there, if you're talking their language and they know, like people know that with me, you might vote for me and you might disagree with me on something, but I'm still going to tell you I disagree with you. That's kind of something like that happened earlier today. But it's like, I'm going to be myself and you're going to know where I stand and people respect that. So uh, I guess the larger point is that. So the downside of that was and then you had people are coming out and signing petitions and and and. And, and those were the same people whose names were kind of tossed out. Those are the same people who were kind of like, it reinforced it in like, your voice doesn't matter. To and, be even more disenfranchised. And these are the yeah. Democrats we're talking about. You understand right. what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, this, yeah. Like, so it, 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 it's, it's sad, sad situation. But I'm, I'm extremely optimistic. The support is rolling in. People are emailing me. How can I help? I'm trying to be really mindful that, uh, uh, again, that, you know, our, our why keep our why in front of everything we do and you know the why is to improve the quality of life of people the material conditions of the people that live in the city of schenectady so i don't want people to risk their safety going a whole bunch of people going door to door trying so you know trying to balance the fact that hey yes we definitely need this number of signatures to get on the ballot but i don't want to you know put people's health at risk right so i just i have um <clears throat> one final question in closing here. We're getting we're getting close to our time. So oh, I got time, man. I'm here. Give me that cup of coffee, It's getting dark out. But um, so no, I just wanted to ask you, just like sort of a strategic question here. So, are you when you um, like obviously, I, like I understand what it is, but I'd like for you to explain it to the audience of what your motive is, or if it's just purely strategic. Do you want to seek the Democratic Party line just because of the nature of the fact how people vote in local elections just straight D? Because yeah. I know, obviously, you had no problem pivoting to the working party's line. Oh, uh, absolutely not. Right. Oh, and, and so uh, this uh, go around, I didn't even seek the nomination through the 
or I didn't go to like the interviews committees and say, you know, nominate me because I think that the best endorsement that you can get, the one that matters the most is by the voters. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm saying, okay, let's, let's have a primary. Um, and to ensure that that's going to happen, I'm not even going to go and seek, uh, the, the blessing of the good old boys club because (laughs) then no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be a proponent of that. I don't even want that. I want to say, even if you were going to say, hey, you know, and people did tap me. Hey, you brought out some really, really impressive numbers on a third party line. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to, you know, you should be looking to get endorsed. Um, no, I don't want to do that because I want to make sure that people are, the people are directly saying that we want Demonte in right. that seat because he represents us. I don't need a, a group of 10 people um, who have uh, been in politics for 30 years Um and haven't you know done much to change a lot of stuff to say okay we'll give you our blessing because if I get that blessing I gotta be a little bit worried about how I got it you know what I mean <laughs> so I'm kind of like so yeah so yeah but I, I definitely you know uh, people are um, people you know do that line voting often I was a line but I did it myself um, for some period of time until I became a little more educated about it so um, there is a strategic uh, a piece there and but to kind of offset the strategy that's why I did it. I want to have a primary because I feel like that allows me to use that strategy, but also operate with integrity. You know, mm-hmm. so people are coming out and voting for me directly. Right. Yeah, and it also gets you out there. You know, just yeah. in like people know you and yeah, FaceTime. Right. Yeah. 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 I, it, listen, man. You know, I there, there's something to be said about you know uh, uh, coming up the ranks. You know, kind of taking the long way, man. You know what I'm saying? There's something yeah. something to be said about it. Makes and, it worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and which is why people also like you know kind of get freaked out because they're like, man, but if we don't if we don't give him this when he gets there, he doesn't owe us anything, right? You know what I mean? You don't owe anybody, right? Yeah. The people. But the, the funny thing about that, if you know me, that wouldn't matter anyway. Right? But okay. yeah, you're, sleep, you're sleeping good at night. You don't care what they say. Yeah, I wouldn't. And I mean, it makes sense too, right? This current political climate we're in, especially in New York, you know, uh, the Democratic Party at large is definitely reeling. You know, you had a ton of downstate obliterations. AOC opened that gate. Uh, a ton of other people. Now, granted, larger races, but I think that the party at large in New York understands, even at the local level, you know, like what you're saying, like, oh, we probably should just like, you know, try to snatch up some of these folks that are a threat. You know what I mean? There's a certain level of co-optation that is a definite strategy you can see, you know, even on the national level. Like, look at Chuck Schumer. What was I saying? Like, two episodes. I was like, well, he got bit by like a radioactive socialist spider or something. Like, he he's literally just like, wait, what did AOC say in 2017? Copy, paste. Like, I, I, we're at that level now. You know, so the Overton windows just slamming left and I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. And, um, I'm glad that you're here. To yeah, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. And I think that, um, you know, there, there's something to be said about, you know, really encouraging people to become civically engaged. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and again, I'm not the guy you see during election time, right? I'm the guy you're going to see all year round. Mm-hmm. And I have, you know, fortunately for me, people know me. They know my record. They know what I've done, you know, who I've always been. So, you know, you don't have to, like, trust the smiling face on your porch, you know, um, this month. You know, you know, you can look back and go, yeah, that guy's been in this community for a long time. And he's always, you know, been pretty consistent, you mm-hmm. know. And plus being from here, like, again, it's like, you know, I'm a real person. People know that. Right. You know, right. I tell people all the time I said, you know, it's it's not that I don't have any skeletons. It's just I don't have any closets. Right? It is what it is. Like, <laughs> They're already out. Like, it is what it is, man. And I, and I think that, um, you know, that's that's what helps me, you know, be authentic um, and, and operate with integrity. Um, and so I don't have to use that traditional playbook, uh, the, 
that it's not for me. And I think, you know, one of the last things I'll say is I think what has happened with, you know, you know, having such a, you know, a person like Trump in office, what has got a lot of people politically active, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm excited about this next generation. It, you know, the cliche is like the the, the people who are the future. Some the things are people. a cliche because they're true, they're, right? They're That's true. why they're said yeah. time and time again, right? Yeah. But this younger generation, they're they're organized. Yeah. They're they have strategy around you know getting out the vote, right. you know, and getting things done. And there there's a level of, of fearlessness to I what they're it. saying too. I love it. Yeah, and that's what makes me excited about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, Damani, thank you so much yeah, for, for coming. Yeah, thank we'll you. be uh, we'll be on the lookout for you. We'll definitely we'll probably see you at a couple of these events once oh, yeah. we can get out to. <laughs> you know, you know, you you got you guys should host a candidate for him, man. Oh yeah, no, that's our, that's one of our next steps. We're looking, we're gonna o- Omar, we're gonna be reaching out to you soon, soon, brother. And uh, that yeah, that's one of our aspirations is we'd like to dig deeper into local politics to really you know give a platform for uh, you know folks who want to come have a real conversation like you just did, yeah. separate them from those who don't, and give the citizens an opportunity to hear a real long form conversation and where you stand on things. Don't, don't ask for permission, man. You know, <laughs> that's, that, that's what this is about. It's about just being who you say you are showing up, man. Mm-hmm. And, and, and authentic in an authentic and meaningful way, because that's how we get results, man. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, definitely. Oh, further with Farley at gmail.com. I should say further with Farley at gmail.com. You can, I can also on Facebook, um, Damani Farley and further with Farley pages on Facebook as well. Um, maybe when you post it, you could throw some links in there so yep. people yeah, know absolutely. how to get in, get in contact with me. So yeah, man. You I, have any events or anything coming up or anything that you're doing that you want to highlight? So um, so we're we're gonna start doing signature Sundays. Um, you know, uh, where people can kind of come up. Uh, we're gonna have places in the city where people can kind of drive up. You know, socially distance. Nice. Uh, get you know, sign and and. And, and because, you know, it is difficult, again, to get to people uh, during COVID. And we really, really want to respect people's health. And we don't want to jeopardize people's health in order to go through this process, which I really, uh, you know, wish we could have had some um, some changes that made it less uh, a situation where we had to kind of expose people. You know, I, I think we could have just we could have done a little better with that um, as a com- as a community and as a state. And I think that. You know, but again, we're, we're going to be doing some signature Sundays. You know, it's up to us to kind of. So we've been my team been like thinking like, how do we reach people without, um, you know, while prioritizing their health? Um, so that's kind of just we're being cool, trying to be innovative with that. So yeah. you doing like churches and. Well, you know, I, I think you know, I'm I'm, I'm trying to, to you know, because the churches and stuff like that, you know, there, you know, there's that separation, quote unquote. We want to just honor. That's so my thing is like, hey, like, I'll be at. You know this corner and this corner, and I'll be right here between you know, two churches. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Right, right, right. <laughs> and pull right up, and, and you know, and, nice. and we'll be able to to do it like that. So yeah, so that that's what we're prioritizing right now, which is is, is getting the signatures, um, and registering people to vote. Yeah, registering people to vote, man. Um, as another thing, you know, a couple people who were who had uh, were recently registered. Uh, you know, last time when I ran, you know, their signatures were uh, disqualified also. So it's like again, we just have to. Give people a reason to show up, and um, kind of combat the uh, the disenfranchisement, and just say, "Yo, we're here. We're gonna really get the work done." And I obviously can't do it without people. So awesome. Yeah, man. And do you just real quick want to give people a reminder about what to sign and not to sign if your name's oh, not on? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, so yeah, so how the process is set up? Um, uh, there'll be people coming around with uh, 
their clipboards and sometimes, well, let's see, for the most part, there's like five names on the uh, petition. So if you sign, you just sign for all five people that are, so, you know, it's not like where, so say like you wanted to support one candidate, but maybe not another, you can't sign for that candidate unless you're signing for the other three or four endorsed candidates. This is really a bad way to do it. I mean, it's strategic. It works great for the powers that be, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you know, we one sign, we get our slate in, but it's like, again, you would think in the Democrat Democratic Party, you know, we'd be a little more mindful about saying like, that that voters' choice, that you know, empowerment of our voter mm-hmm. in it, but it doesn't really work that way. So, I, so depending, so if you if you sign a petition for um, the other uh, in, in incumbents and um, uh, endorsed candidates, you can't sign my petition because oh. it won't. It, you know, you can't sign both. There's only so gotcha. many slots. So yeah, so yeah. And I'm also I should also clarify that I'm running for a four year seat. Right. right. I'm not running for a, a two year seat because people think, oh, city council race is city council race. And no, it, it, it's not. There's a special election. And I intentionally did that, even though it, it it requires a likely a much higher voter threshold. What that does is that that, you know, opens up space for young, new voices and people, you know, who, with similar similar ideology uh, that I have. And I'm not, you know, competing with them in that place. We mm-hmm. need to, you know, really compete with the people who allow you know, tradition to stifle innovation. We don't. We don't want. Right. We want to encourage that. So, so that was intentional on my part. So you're you're targeting the incumbents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. absolutely. Um, and again, it's you know, it's important because that this is the type of climate. This is the type of thing that um, encourages people to be the best their best selves. Right. Right. You know. So if you're an incumbent and you've been on the city council for four years and you haven't been walking your neighborhood when you know and but now you're out, you're walking and people are going, oh, I think I remember you, but they're like, oh. I know that guy. He was doing this and doing that for all these years before right. any political interest. You're in trouble. Right. So you should be worried about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I man, hey, I appreciate you coming Thanks down. Thanks for having me, yeah. man. Stay in touch. We're going to link Pleasure. that up. Absolutely. Have a good yeah. on you. Folks. All right, man. Thank you. Take it easy.